Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. You're going to really enjoy this interview. I know because I'm really enjoying it already. We've been visiting a little bit before. Today, I have with me my friend, Michelle Fran. Fran Chesk- <laughs> I knew I knew I would. I, I, all right. Michelle, tell us how to say your, your name. Michelle Francesca Cohen. <laughs> Francesca. Francesca, I, I wrote it down and I couldn't read my own writing. Now, if I were really technically good, I'd stop this. We'd start again and I'd edit that out, but I don't know how to do that. So, uh, <laughs> Michelle, she was born and raised in the beautiful country of Surrey, England. And uh, I've been there and it is beautiful indeed. And after retiring, if you can do that as a teenager from the British uh, National Gymnastics team in her mid-teens, she embarked on a career in theater arts, coaching students, professionals, and lay folk of all ages. And as a director and writer and choreographer and performer and as a teacher at one of Britain's most reputable performing arts colleges in London, she's had the privilege of bringing inspiration for life to many, including casts of hundreds in high-budget productions, students, both young and old, and top-level training facilities, and millions of people via television broadcasting. In the 1990s, she entered the world of ordained ministry, about the same time that I did, and continued her mission of identity empowerment by sharing the good news of God's unconditional love in more than 20 nations. She's currently an associate pastor at the church at Trophy Lakes in Trophy Club, Texas, where she leads women's events, pastor's classes, prayer meetings, and online outreach. She's the author of three books, Eden Song, Arise, and Love Song, which is a collection of poems of connection. And in all the things that she's doing, she's helping people imagine a world where people feel secure, aware of their God connection, their worth, and their significance. What a wonderful calling. What a wonderful thing to do. So, Michelle, welcome. Thank you so much, Paul. It is such an honor to be here with you. It's an honor to have you. It really is. And we've met and been involved in some different things. And I've had the privilege of watching podcast interviews that you've done with our mutual friend, Catherine Toon. And it's just it's special to be here together. Michelle, as I always do, I like to start out by asking our guest, how is your ongoing revelation and understanding of God's unconditional love and grace for all people? How's that affected you where the rubber meets the road in everyday life? Friends, relatives, business people, how's it affected you? Oh, in magnificent ways. Once I was fully embracing God's unconditional love for all, it began to change, first of all, the way I relate to myself. I think that's the number one relationship that we're all, that we can't ever shake off. We're with ourselves wherever we go. That's the self-talk 
that we all have going on, the self-talk in my own mind began to just change and shift. I began to train myself, come into alignment and agree with what God says about me, feels towards me. And I began to change my approach to feel that way toward myself, you know, to love myself unconditionally, to appreciate my being, myself. It sounds to some perhaps a little bit uh, self-indulgent, maybe uh, sort of self-centered. It's not that at all. It's just really just beginning to see myself through God's eyes, unconditionally loving. And that wasn't always the case. Because I think growing up, you read out some of the things that I did, British National Gymnastics team at an early age, you know, and training uh, in in sort of uh, in the arts and dance and what have you, you know, we would often hear, you know, you're fat, darling, and, you know, this is terrible and do it again. And so a lot of performance mentality from my childhood and into the various things that I did without realizing I subconsciously took that into my a walk with God, you know, when I came to know uh, Jesus or invite Jesus into my life when I was in my early 20s, what I didn't realize in hearing what I feel then was a bit of a partial gospel, you know, that there was still that raised fist just in case I messed up, that I was taking that performance mentality into that relationship with God as well. So now without realizing I was trying to be a good Christian. I was trying to, um, you know, live up to all the things that were expected of me. The way I had received it or the way I, some of it was taught to me was that it really was a conditional love, you know, that there were things that if I didn't measure up, you know, I was going to get dropped off <laughs> in a lake of fire, etc., or, you know, or be punished or, or what have you. So when, once that big ship turned and the lights came on and I, I, I realized from the scripture, what you're sharing, you know, with your beautiful courses and work that God's love is unconditional towards us. It just changed everything about my life. And then in loving myself, I was able to to do what it says in the scripture, you know, not see others in a, in a carnal way, but to really see the someone that they are as being the, that spiritual offspring of God first and foremost before their outward, you know, role that they were playing or the body that they were wearing or you know the maybe things that they were doing. So it has changed every relationship in a really positive way, but it really started with my relationship with myself. And interestingly, you know, you mentioned um, Love Song Poems of Connection. And one of the things about that book is that, you know, we will often talk about coming to God or connecting with God. And how can we connect honestly with God if we're not fully connected with ourselves? You know, um, like the prodigal son, he came to himself. So for me, coming to myself was coming to the realization of my belovedness my absolute unconditional belovedness in God so that I could then be at peace and bring the truth of who I was, whatever I might be going through to the pure light of God. Oh, that's wonderful, Michelle. It's just wonderful. And I can so relate because my background was in music and performing arts and as an entertainer, musician, and the pressure, especially when you do it for a living, <laughs> I mean, the, the pressure is there. You you have to perform. Uh, you're only as good as your last performance. You're always trying 
uh, at least with me, I was always trying to promote myself. And that sort of led to uh, making myself look better than I really was. It's sometimes like people on Facebook who uh, have a picture of themselves 30 years younger and, and 200 pounds lighter. And, I, and then you meet them in person and go, whoa. <laughs> well, I, that's kind of what, <laughs> what I did with my, my band and my music. And I, I, I was a legend in my own mind. And so Gosh, it was so freeing and so exciting to uh, uh, <clears throat> to find out that God didn't see me that way at all, that he'd always been there. He always loved me unconditionally, and uh, performance was never an issue to him. I don't know about you, Michelle, but it, I still have those times when I, boy, I can slip back into that performance mode thing and then beat myself up because I think I haven't performed well enough for God. Can you relate to that? Oh, completely. I think the phrase, good enough, the root of feeling not good enough is probably at the heart, the depth of so many people. And we can just receive that message in so many ways, can't we? Whether, you know, in a world of competition, um, if you don't make gold, you weren't good enough, you know, or maybe something that we've received during our growing up years from our parents that we interpreted that message as I'm not good enough. And no slam, you know, on the church or anything. I'm a minister and I, you know, I'm there like you are to help build up the body. But I think when you have, you having been in ministry a long time and having myself preached an almost gospel, what, and what I mean by that is one that we say that Christ has done it all. We say it's completely finished. We say we're complete in him. But at the same time, we still revert and see ourselves as the sinner, as the wretch, as the worm, and never fully arrive at the, the redemption that's been given since the foundation of the earth to make sure that everyone is encompassed in that. And so even through ministry, wanting to be a good enough speaker, a good enough Christian, a good enough everything, it's like it all had to come crumbling down so that I could realize at the bottom of it all wait a minute, I already am good. <laughs> I, am, I was described as very good in the Garden of Eden. A man was described as very good. You know, none of that was ever rescinded. Oh, and that's uh, taking sides with God as uh, how he sees us and has always seen us. And then sometimes when those thoughts will come to my mind that well, I'm not good enough because of, you know, remember what you did in 1978 or 1983 or, or whatever, you know. But then being able to go to God, to go to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I call them my council of four friends, the four of us, and to go to them and have them uh, with no condemnation, uh, with no shame and no guilt or saying, hey, we were there with you then. We were never apart. We were there with you then. We were pulling for you then. We're pulling for you now. There's no condemnation. We wish you wouldn't even think about that because we don't think about it. You know, of course, that led uh, with me to going down this good rabbit trail of thinking, well, if they don't think of that, if they don't remember that, as Scripture says, if, if they don't keep a list of that, Jesus took away the sin of the world if God the Father was in Christ Jesus at the cross, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, reconciling everyone and everything to him, not counting anyone's sins against them, what's the problem? <laughs> I mean, what, what is there for me to be afraid of to think that 
God is going to bring out this non-existent list and uh, condemn me for something that he's taken away and already forgiven. And uh, <laughs> we, we can laugh at it now. I'll tell you what, though, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's an earth-shattering thing to realize that. And then, of course, as I'm sure you well know, you know when, if somebody would have come to me before I had this revelation, well, actually, somebody did, and tell me that, I would not have believed them. I would have resisted it. I, I would have called them a heretic. I would have called them all sorts of things. And I just didn't know what I didn't know. But what a freeing revelation to find out what God is really like and what he really thinks about us. Yes, incredibly, incredibly freeing. <laughs> and you've had the opportunity to do that through books, through ministry, through speaking. Yes. Yeah. The passion for me is identity empowerment for people to realize who they are inherently as the offspring of God and that nothing changes that substance. I I say it in this most simplistic way, according to Genesis 1.26, we are made of God's stuff. Spiritually, we're made of God's stuff housed in an earth suit and, you know, Eve had a memory relapse for a moment. Uh, She forgot who she was, you know, mm-hmm. if you, you know, eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And she perhaps forgot, oh, wait, I already am. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> in Christ, that the redemption of that in our own minds, the full, the reconciliation, you know, the, the waking up, the changing of our own minds about who we are. When I see that happen in people, whether it's art students, actors, everyday people, churchgoers, something, once that light is switched on and people begin to realize who they are, they are empowered from the inside out. They begin to live life from the inside out under the guidance of the Holy Spirit because they realize, oh, wait a minute, I was never disconnected from love from whom I can never be separated. How did I fall for that nonsense that I was ever separated from love? And once people realize they've got an ongoing connection that they can tap into, tune into, all of a sudden it's it's they're not taking their cues from the outside in, but they're stand you know standing in their their sovereignty as the offspring of the King of Kings, and that's an amazing thing to watch. It affects people, actors, for example. When I'm teaching actors, I decided to create a course that had spiritual family of origin identity. I call it that because we all have an earthly family of origin, right? Which is the hand-me-downs from our father, our grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that is really messy. A lot of that is iniquitous. It's twisted. It's not the truth about who we are. So I began a course that taught actors a portion of the time would be spent really studying our spiritual family of origin identity and what I found was, was that when they began to act from a place of absolute certainty that they were good enough, they could actually step out over the edge of, of what were previously felt like artistic boundaries to them <laughs> and discover themselves very free to take chances as actors, as dancers, in fact, really beginning to encompass a star quality from the inside out. And it's, of course, it's one thing to work on technique and all of those other things. But what I found was that though many of those acting students or dance students might not 
go on to be professional in their field or a Hollywood star, they were radically changed in a way that was unshakable. They had an unshakable confidence from the inside out from that time on. Yeah, that unshakable confidence. The early church had a word for that, unshakable assurance. And I can't remember if the word is perusea. Oh, that might not be right. I, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but they, they had a, a word for that unshakable confidence that God wants us all to have. He doesn't want us to wonder. He doesn't want us to worry. And I so relate to what you were saying, Michelle. I'm a trained classical musician. My degrees were in uh, trumpet music education and, uh, you know, performed in band and orchestra and different groups and things. But my love was jazz. And I started a jazz group when I was in college and we were very fortunate and I continued to have that group afterwards. And that was how I made my living for many years. And there's such a difference in jazz because jazz is improvising. You've got a framework, you know, everybody in the group plays the same song in the same key at the same tempo, but then you're free to create and you've got that freedom. And if you mess up, the other people in the group, you know, support you and play off of that and uh, different things. And you're just all supportive all the time. And once that clicks, and again, like you said, yeah, you got to have technique, you got to have range, you got to have all of this kind of stuff. And, but once it clicks and you're free from a spiritual standpoint, free to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and do what the Holy Spirit in you has gifted you to do, then you know you're good enough at whatever you do. It's going to be good. You can enjoy it. You can inspire other people. And I view the Holy Spirit as a sort of like a rhythm section with piano, bass, and drums. And they're always playing. They're always playing this wonderful song. They invite me and everybody to come in and sit in with them and play. And when I do, you know, like if they're playing a love song, like I left my heart in San Francisco, slow tune in B flat, and uh, I'm playing Proud Mary, a rock tune in in the key of C at a totally different uh, tempo, it ain't pretty. But when I'm playing their song, their key and their tempo, I still have freedom to be me and play whatever I want. But that's when it's beautiful. And that's when we can, you know, I can play something and they'll play something off of that. And we'll look at each other, you know, we'll smile. And that may be hard to grasp for somebody that doesn't have a musical background, but we all have different backgrounds and ways to express ourselves. Yes. And life becomes then this harmonizing with the the frequency of love, right? The, that tone, that core essence of love, which we realize, oh, I am that. I'm born of that. I'm the Hebrew word is asa, which, you know, God became, God bore, God appointed man in his image and likeness. So we've got that core note. And then our life can become a harmony with that and with others, which I think is why when you meet other people that have the understanding of the unconditional love, there's such a sweet sound in the communication. We're not all necessarily playing the same song. We might not all agree to the tune that we want to play, but we have a harmony. There's a harmony at the basis of it all. I think the Greek word you may have been thinking of was pistis, faith, which also means confidence. I don't know. Maybe maybe that was, maybe it wasn't. But I thought how interesting that was that the faith that we have is not a thing, a religious thing, or a denominational like a set of bylaws, the faith, but it's our confidence. So it's that assurance of connection, isn't it? With this ongoing 
cosmic note of love. <laughs> yeah, oh, so well said, and it is. Well, our time's almost up, but let's talk about this more in our next interview, which people will see a week later. We will look the same because we'll I'll be wearing the same shirt and you'll be wearing the same blouse and, and it'll be the same background, but it'll be a week later. We're, I, we're not <laughs> fooling anybody, uh, so I just tell them up front. But, uh, but Michelle, thank you so much for this interview and tell people as, as we finish how they can connect with you, where they can buy your books and all of those things. Sure. I think the best uh, resource is michellefrancesca.com and that's m-i-c-h-e-l-e-1-l and francesca f-r-a-n-c-e-s-c-a.com and my all my books are there and encouragement and inspiration for life great inspiration for life i love it well i certainly encourage people to go there and to find out more about you and to listen to you more and they'll get to listen to you more as they listen to us on our next interview a week after this on grace to all with paul gray so thanks again michelle thank you so much paul and thanks everybody for watching listening being with us for another edition of grace to all with paul gray we'll see you next time thank you for listening to grace to all for more about us how we can serve you and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.